Father, we think of your servant Job who said he desires your word more than his daily bread. And truly from the heart we pray that you would create in our hearts an insatiable desire for your word, that we would feast on it, that we would be hungry for it, that we want to hear from you, Lord. And we pray that your word would have its way with us, that as we hear it, as we take it to heart in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would truly bless it into our lives, that we would literally trust it with all, trust in you with all our hearts through it, and take your word to the bank. And we pray we would be changed this morning for having been under your word and given it full reign. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I'll send the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm -mm -mm. Now there is a really toxic, in a case toxic means like poison, teaching that's reared its ugly head throughout the ages in the church from time to time, and it's basically can be referred to as universalism. What's universalism? Universalism is the belief that everyone gets saved in the end. In other words, both those who have faith in Christ and those who have rejected Christ are both going to end up in the same place. Well, the big, there's the, the, the main, I could go on all morning, but I won't, and give you all the problems with that view but I'll give you the biggest reason. It ain't true. That's the reason we have a problem with it. It's not biblical. Everywhere, literally everywhere in the Bible, it makes it very clear that not all will be saved in the end. That only those with the word that's, said, that's used about a million times in the Bible, only those with what? Faith in Messiah Jesus. 
And we have specifically in the text right before us, we have a clear case of where the Apostle Paul tells us, you know, when it push comes to shove, as my brother likes to say, at the end of the day, there's only two kinds of people in the world. And it ain't those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. I'll tell you how Paul refers to the two types of people. He says there are brothers and there are others. And that's it. There's no in-between. You're either part of the brethren, which includes women who believe. It's men and women who believe, the brothers of the faith. And there are the others who have rejected the gospel. As a matter of fact, this was interesting when I did my study of this, this whole epistle. The Apostle Paul refers to the Thessalonian believers as brothers, listen to this, 13 times. In, that little, in five chapters, he calls them brothers, brothers, brothers. And in our short passage, he says it twice. Now brothers, I tell you brothers. And then in verse 6, he talks about others. And it's not pretty for the others. Says, he says in our text, when Jesus returns for the others, there will be no escaping God's wrath. That's chilling. There's a song that uh, when I'm in my melancholy state, every now and then I get a little depressive myself. In the middle of the song it says, and you watch your only way of escape disappear. Is there anything more, more chilling than that? You watch it slip away? But here's the interesting thing. I want you to see this. For brothers, that's believers in Christ, we have a different destiny. But notice, it's, and, and this is where people get all mixed up. It's not because we're more deserving. It's not because we're more worthy. Look, here's the point. We need rescuing. The whole point is Jesus is coming to rescue us. Why? Because we're all messed up. Because we're filled with sin. Because we don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, no matter how holy we are. And so when we say to the world, the others, and we want to become brothers, because we know what's coming. And that's the big thing about justice. Don't pray too hard for justice. Because that means you get what you deserve. Listen, in Noah's day, what happened? Who was saved in Noah's day? Noah and his family. And guess what Noah did? He was a preacher of righteousness. He warned people day and night with tears to turn from their sins to God because God is sending a flood. You know what they did to Noah? <laughs> this guy's nuts. Look at old crazy Noah in the desert building an ark, a boat. What an idiot. But guess what happened? It started to rain. It started to rain. You know, we like to sing that song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Remember the Red Sea? You know what I'm talking about? And all of God's people walked across dry land. Amen, right? Amen. Yeah, but guess what happened to Pharaoh and his army, the hard-hearted Pharaoh? They did the dead man's float. No universalism there. Horse and rider thrown into the sea. Now, I want to just point out one more thing here. In Jesus' first coming, the same thing happened. Because Jesus makes a division. 
when he came, there were what? Those who believed and those who what? Rejected. John 3, 17. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now listen, what's the point of this whole thing? The point is, on the day of Jesus' second coming, it'll be no different. Those to whom Jesus have fled will be rescued. Those who have refused to do so, listen, they'll receive what they deserve. That's why we always pray, Lord, do not treat me as my sins deserve. The believers at Thessalonica, this is where we're going with this, the, the, the believers at Thessalonica believe this with all their hearts. You've got to give them credit. They believe Jesus is coming back. And they believe he's going to make right wrong. I mean, he's going he's to wrong, you know, right every wrong, excuse me. They believed that he was going to make that separation. But that, so that wasn't their problem. That's more our problem. We don't really talk too much about the second covenant, do we? At least I don't hear it among ourselves really being excited about it in our culture. No, their problem wasn't that they took the second coming of, uh, of Christ. Um, they didn't take it serious enough. Their problem was that they were allowing their obsession with trying to, to pinpoint the day and the hour and the date to lead them to utter dis distraction from what God was calling them to do today. That was the problem. In other words, the glorious truth that Jesus is coming back to take his people home shouldn't lead to idle guessing but rather to godly dressing. That's it. We were not to kick back and speculate, but we're to put on the armor and hurry up and wait. That's the whole sermon. So we're going to see this morning, since the wicked will be judged and believers will be saved when Jesus suddenly returns, we need to continue to live lives of faith, hope, and love as we patiently and soberly await his imminent return. Isn't that cool? Three things we're going to look at. First is, don't stare at the clock, but keep your eyes on the rock. That's the first one. Second one is, don't settle into bedding, but be alert and ready. And the third one is, don't be terrified, continue to edify. Yeah, I did a little work this week. All right, so let's take a look at the first one. Don't stare at the clock, but keep your eyes on the rock. So he starts off verse 1. Now, brothers, about times, dates, we don't need to write you. If you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Listen, Paul is simply reiterating our Lord's teaching. You realize Jesus said this, right? You know, he's, he's, this isn't something Paul just came up with. Uh, Matthew 24, 36, our Lord Jesus said this to his disciples. No one knows about that day or the hour. So who's no one? No one. Not Harold Camping. Hello? Not all the other people that I won't list who have predicted he was going to come and he didn't. Acts 1, 7, Jesus said this to his disciples. <laughs> In case they didn't get it in Matthew. Um, he says this after he rose from the dead. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You would think that kind of clears things up, wouldn't you? It's not for you to know. 
But still, we have people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ who waste precious energy and time. What? Trying to predict when Jesus is going to be here. When he's going to come. Physically. Again. But here's the analogy Paul uses, and he takes the analogy that Jesus spoke about, and he uses it again. He says, but that's not how Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming what? Like a thief in the night. Listen, a thief doesn't text you late at night and say, yo, Sam, I'll be there at 2 morning, two in the morning, and I'm going to come through the window. Well, of course, what would happen if he did that? <laughs> yo, you, you here yet? No, a thief doesn't do that. The thief comes on the down low, right? But the point of the analogy is, listen, Jesus is coming the same way. He's going to return unexpectedly. It's going to be so unexpected that the whole world's going to be like peace and safety. This is, we're experiencing this great blessing of peace. New world order, so to speak. And then Jesus is going to come. And notice what he says. He's going to come suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. You know, when your wife is nine months pregnant and you go to class and you're running a little late because you had to get a photocopy on one side of the campus. And so you realize you're late for gym class. Yeah, even in college you have gym, believe it or not. And so you, it's actually it was health at the time. So I'm sneaking in the back. And I don't want anybody to know, like, nobody, please don't point out that I'm late. And I go to slink into my chair, and literally I thought this was, I was in, like, a stinking dream world. I thought this is, like, so surreal. This one girl, I don't even know, stands up in the middle of the class, interrupts the teacher, looks at me and goes, are you Santo Garofolo? And I'm like, I'm like, this can't really be happening. And I'm like, yes. Your wife just came in. She's in labor. And I'm like, no! And I get up, and the whole class is roaring, and I get out. Because here's the point. When the baby's coming, the baby's coming. You know that whole, ready or not, here I come? That's right. That's right. We won't even go too much deeper than that one. No, when the labor pains come, out comes the baby. And, and Paul is saying that's how Christ's coming will be sudden there won't be any stopping it listen there won't be any time to now get right with God there's not going to be any second chances if you weren't right with God through faith in Christ then guess what I hate to say it it's not something we say with joy in our hearts but game over and it's going to be a chilling day it's going to catch those people by surprise who have not, as the Thessalonians had done, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. That day will be literally a horror for those who have rejected the gospel. Listen, I remember when I was a, a new believer and I was, I don't know how I, just on an off comment, mentioned Christ's second coming to one of my non-believing friends. He was a nice guy but didn't know Jesus. And he goes, oh, when he's coming, I'm going with him. And you know what happened? My heart dropped into my stomach. Because I realized at that moment, that wouldn't be true. You can't wait until he comes to decide you're going to go with him. You with me? You're going to make that decision now. So you're ready when he comes. C.S. Lewis says this. When the author walks onto the stage, listen, this is powerful. The play is over. 
God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying you're on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else comes crashing in? This time it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It'll be too late then to choose your side. That will be, not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we have really chosen. Isn't that powerful? Whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment is our chance to choose the right side. Isn't that awesome? We have a chance, but it's today. It's not that day. And that's why we have to tell our friends, our neighbors, and even our enemies. And yes, we have to warn them. We have to warn them. We know that, listen, some people think you're, you're nuts when you warn them. But I don't know about you, but if someone was like, like the other day I'm driving in the car and Tom's telling me some story. I don't know why I thought it was so captivating. And I'm, and I'm kind of listening to a story, not paying attention. He goes, Sam, Sam, you see they're stopped right there, right? And I was like, no, it wasn't good. Now, listen, at first, you know, I was a little annoyed. I'm like, Tom, shut up. I got this. But you know what? I didn't have it. I didn't have it. And so the world's going to feel annoyed. They're going to tell us, you know, they're going to laugh like Noah's. Remember Noah's family? Remember how they laughed at Noah? I mean, uh, Noah's neighbors? They laughed at Noah. But it didn't stop them from warning them. So for, for believers, Paul writes this. We don't have to know the exact times and dates of our Lord's return. Just because we don't know exactly when he's returning, for us it's going to be different. For the brothers, it's going to be different than the others. Paul tells us, for us, it will not catch us by surprise. Ernest Best once put it this way, only the unprepared are surprised by the unexpected. Only the unprepared are surprised by the unexpected. If you're prepared, so what if they pop in? You know, like when, when, when my mom used to go, oh, Aunt Judy's coming, we got to clean the house. What does that mean? That means we weren't prepared. But if the house is always clean, Aunt Judy can come anytime she wants wants just saying and Paul says that he says we will not be surprised look at verse 4 but you brothers you're not in the darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief you're all sons of the light and sons of the day who do not belong to the night or the darkness and it's interesting Paul says here we're not going to be caught surprised why? Because we're not in the darkness. I love, I love the language he uses here. We're sons of the light. We're sons of the day. We don't belong to the darkness. So listen, what does it mean to be the son of something? Now stop you. But other than that, usually it means you carry, the son carries on the characteristics of what? The parent or the thing referred to. So you talk about Barnabas. He was called Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. What does that mean? That means Barnabas was filled with what? Encouragement. He was a son of encouragement. Well, to be the son, a son of light or a daughter of light, what does that mean? To be filled with light. Son of the day means you're walking, in, you're a day walker. You get me? You're not a night walker, you're a day walker. Paul's going to talk about that in a minute, what it means to be a night walker. But I want to I show you something. John 12, if you remember, I, I quoted it for our prep for worship. Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer, referring to himself. 
Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark doesn't know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, listen, so that you may become what? Sons of light. Here's the great news. If you know Jesus as Savior, you are a son or a daughter of light. You no longer belong to the darkness. Hallelujah. So we don't belong to the darkness anymore. We're sons of Jesus who's in the light. We're sons of the day. And this has very practical application. That's the second thing I want to point out. Since that's true, since we are sons of the light, sons of the day, children of light, children of the day, second thing we've got to see is we're not to settle into bedding. In other words, go to sleep spiritually. But we're to be alert and ready. Like, stay awake. Like Tom had to tell me, yo, dude, we're about to have a disaster. You need to wake up. Verse 6, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be what? Self-controlled. And, and in, in the original Greek, it's actually having put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Since we're brothers, Paul's saying, let's not be like the others. What about the others are we not to be like? That's an important question. We're not to be night walkers who are spiritually asleep, walking around like drunk people, completely, you know, drunk people are what? Completely unaware of their surroundings. And if you don't believe me, work at a nightclub where they party all night long till the wee hours of the morning and be the one that has to clean the toilets. I'm serious. You go in the bathroom, and I've seen things in those bathrooms that I'm, I'm just befuddled. How did they even do that? But now if you were to see those people and interview them in the middle of the next day, and you said, why did you do that? They're going to say, I don't even remember doing it. Oh. No, it's true. Why? Because they were intoxicated. Because they were literally out of their mind. How many people live like that and are, and are ashamed about what they did when they were under the influence? And then unfortunately some people aren't even ashamed, right? That's a bad thing. But, but Paul uses that as a spiritual um, analogy. And he says, listen. He says, we don't belong to the night anymore. We're not in that drunken stupor. We're a part of the day. We've left the nightlife. You know, it's like, uh, I think of, I was going to pick up Pastor Pete, but Mary Ellen's a joke about this. She says, please tell me you didn't go to seminary in your PJs. But, you know, there are these people, like today, it's popular, people that walk, out, walk around in their pajamas. Paul says, don't walk in your pajamas. He says, you got to wake up, man. you got to get out to bed. you got to put one pant leg on at a time. You with me? you got to stay awake. you got to be ready. Don't settle into bedding. Be alert and be ready. So this is a true story, which is kind of hard to believe. But this is how, in America, there was a time when people actually were waiting for Jesus to come way more than they are today. This was 1780, and it was in Connecticut, and this was actually our government, which is even more shocking, and they were having a meeting, the representatives, and they're glancing out the windows, and they were afraid that the end was at hand because it was so ominous and dark early in the day, I believe it was. And so they all were talking about, we might need to adjourn quickly because Jesus might be coming. Well, this gentleman, Davenport, rose up and said, listen, this is powerful. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it's not, then there's no cause for adjournment. If it is, 
I choose to be found doing my duty when it happens. Therefore, I wish for the candles to be brought. <laughs> and let's keep this thing going. And that's the point. The point of this, Jesus is really coming, then keep on working. Keep on praying. Keep on, keep on loving. Keep on serving. Keep on giving. Keep on walking. Because when he comes, you want him to find you being about your father's business. You know, you don't want him to find you. And it's interesting here. This is so important to see this. As I mentioned a second ago here. It's not be alert and self-controlled and then put on the armor of faith, hope, and love. Paul is saying something much more powerful. He's saying, look, I know you Thessalonians. Since you have already put on the armor of faith, hope, and love. That's something they already had done. Now I want you to be self-alert and self-controlled. Live like it because you have the armor on. Faith, hope, and love. And what's interesting, so Paul already gave thanks for their what? For their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus. So what kind of faith did they have? Listen up, folks. What kind of faith? Faith that did what? That worked. What kind of love did they have? Love that did what? That labored sacrificially. What kind of hope did they have? They had the kind of hope that endures. The kind of hope that says, I don't mind the pain. I don't mind the driving rain. I know I will sustain because I believe in you. Listen, we're fueled by the grace that we receive through the gospel and the hope that endures even through the hardest of circumstances, because here's the awesome thing. We know, as that old, that old illustration goes, we know the whole meaning of the book of Revelation. Remember, there was a janitor, and he's watching this pastor who was working until wee hours of the morning every day, and he finally, the janitor said, what are you doing? Coming late and at work all the time. And he goes, I'm trying to figure out the main point of the book of Revelation. And you know what the janitor said? Oh, that's easy. Jesus wins. That's it. We know we're on the winning side. When he comes back, it's a cleanup act. It's done. On the cross, he said what? It's finished. The work's done. I'll come back to clean up. Now, here's the thing. Only those who truly believe that, that Jesus is coming back to rescue those who have trusted in him, will order their lives accordingly. Rearrange their lives in light of that truth. See, that means the children of the light, those who are children of the day, they know when there is a com there's coming a day when Jesus will consummate his kingdom's reign that he began when he first came to this earth. Only those will not be in a drunken stupor. They won't be like walking zombies. But they'll be what? Listen, to coin a phrase, they'll be woke. And social justice is an important thing to be woke to, but it's even, and that is a very important thing, but it's even more important to be, uh, to be woke to the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he can't even see the kingdom. God said it. For you know, the, you know not the hour in which I come. That settles it. I believe it. Well, if you really believe it, then you'll rearrange your life accordingly. 
Listen, I'm, I'm being serious about this. All my life, my adult life, even when I was younger, but especially my adult life, there's a few dreams I had that just were not happening in my life. One was I wanted to lose a lot of weight, and I never got to it. The other one was my whole life I wanted to speak my mother's native tongue. I, I just so badly wanted to be able to converse in Italian, the language I heard growing up as a kid. I, I never learned it. Why did, I never, why did those two things never happen? I wasn't motivated, right? I really, I really didn't, didn't, didn't have motivation. And all my life, I dreamed of going to Italy, but I thought money, time, I know I'm never, really never going to get there. And then my beautiful wife did something one day. She worked for two years, and all her extra money for doing home draws and, and when she drew blood and into the nursing home, she kept squirreling that money away, squirreling that money away. And then she came to me, and she basically, as it were, showed me two ticks. She said, guess where you're going? And I had about nine months to get my act together. So now listen, here's the interesting thing. I want you to understand this. I didn't earn the trip to Italy. You with me? I didn't pay for it. It was a gift. But when I saw literally there was a time when I would be landing on, on Italian soil, guess what happened? I believed it. So since I believed it, guess what this fat Italian guy did? I got my butt up off the couch, and I started exercising. I started walking. And while I walked, I did double duty. I put the Pimsleur CDs in my, in my earbuds. And guess what happened? In nine months' time, I cut 35 pounds. I was able to speak the language. So that when I actually landed on, uh, when the day happened that I met my Italian cousins, guess what we could do? We could communicate. And guess what else? I had been to Florida a year or so before that with Tom, Donna, and Mary. I was so out of shape, literally every couple hundred feet or so, I had to say, Tom, Donna, can we sit down a minute? And I saw them. They were like, yeah, sure, Sant. But I saw that I was really ruining their time. But because I had that hope, of that coming day when I literally was going to get to Italy, guess what happened? That all changed. And this is what I'm telling you. Why did I bring up that story? Because if you really believe Jesus is coming again, your whole life is going to be rearranged. You're going to make your whole life fit in because you know that day is coming. You want to be so ready that when the day comes, you're going to say, yes, I've been prepping for this day. There's no surprise. I knew it was coming, and I'm ready. I'm ready. So since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting our faith and love as a breastplate. And the hope, that's what we're talking about here, the hope of salvation. It's looking forward. Last thing, a much shorter point. Don't get nervous. Don't be terrified, but continue to edify. Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So listen, when, when the UMTs come, I, love to, I give talks. Um, I love when we teach uh, um, Bible studies on Wednesday nights, I like to bring this up. I like to ask a simple question. You would think Christians can answer this pretty easily. I'd say this, listen, why did Jesus die? Oh. And usually, the first few answers are the answers, and they're one million percent true, but we say, he died for our sins, right? Which is, thank God he did. 
And that's what he talks about that in this text too. So I'm not poo-pooing that at all. But I love to get them to where we get to 2 Corinthians 5.15, which says, He died for all, that those who live should what? No longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. In other words, Jesus didn't just die for our sins, but he died to, so that we would no longer live for ourselves. Selfish. We would live for him. Right? That's beautiful, isn't it? But here's something that this is the first time I've seen it. It's so cool when you've been walking with Jesus this long, you've been studying the Bible this long, and this is the first time I had the whole, I should have had a V8 moment. There's something even better than that. Why did Jesus die? It's in this text. Look, it's crazy. He says this. Where is it? Oh, he died, verse 10, for us so that what? Whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Why is that better? I'll tell you why. For some crazy reason that I cannot explain, the most innocent, holy, loving, good, righteous God in the flesh gave his life for me and took my punishment. Why? so that I could be with him forever, both here and now, and the world and life, life of the world to come. Brothers and sisters, it don't get better than that. The reality is that he actually wants to be with us. And the older I get, the longer I, I gotta, I don't know about you, I get sick of myself. I'm just like, I can't stand sitting with myself no more. And yet Jesus says, I'll never get tired of you. So that whether you die and are asleep to this world and are with me in spirit, or whether you come back and we're raised and we're with you, it's so that we'll always be with him. Never to be torn asunder ever, ever again. And that should literally change everything for us, brothers and sisters. And that's why the second coming for us is not a terror. It's not a day of horror. Because listen, the very Jesus who is coming back to judge is the one who already died for us. <laughs> it's the one who died who's coming to rescue. The big takeaway, we're closing with this. Verse 11, what a wonderful thing. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Never been a great runner. Not my gift. But when I was in elementary school, see how far back I have to go? We used to have these days, uh, I forgot what we called them, but you'd have like uh, little games and races and all that fun stuff. I have to remember what that was. But. And I remember I was called upon to do the 200-yard dash. Like, what in the world would they call me? So we're on the line, and I literally take, I'm like, you know, I'm still a competitive person, you know, I might not be great at it, but, and I run with all my might, and I see the line, and I start, like, slowing down, and they're like, no, no, that, that's the 100-yard line, and thankfully someone told me that, and I had to pick it back up and run. Brothers and sisters, we need to be encouraging one another. It ain't over, the race, the race ain't over, it ain't time to lag. 
It ain't time to go, oh, there's the line. No, the line is Jesus, his second coming. Keep on running, keep on fighting, keep on loving, keep on giving, keep on hoping, keep on trusting, and keep on enjoying fellowship with him more than any earthly thing. Because when he comes, there won't be one person in the universe that will regret the fact that they align their lives with that great event that God promises, set your clock on it, he's coming. And there will be no delay. Please, I hope there's no one in this room that's a part of the others. If, if there's even a chance, it's time for you to become a brother or a sister and repent and believe it's, it's a free gift, and it's offered to everyone, not holy people, anyone who acknowledges they need rescuing. So let's pray. Father, how we thank you. This text has been a literal buffet for me personally, and I hope it has been for your people here. We thank you for the, the rich spiritual nourishment we get from it, and particularly a right application of the truth of the fact that Jesus is coming back to take us home. And Lord, we pray that we would encourage one another as we have been doing here and that we would continue to edify and build one another up knowing that that day is coming and that we would be ready and watching and living for you when Jesus tears the curtain, as it were, and says, time up. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.